Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to another very special edition of the Guest Alliance Unicorn Challenge podcast. We have just finished watching SKT take down AHQ pretty much as we expected, but with some wrinkles in there that we definitely think are worth talking about. And I am joined by my good friend, Walter Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I am so thankful that this series was on one of the days that it started at 9 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Yeah? If I had gotten up at 5 o'clock to watch that, I would have been very sad. <laughs> I would have well, been a very sad person. Well, see, this is this is the thing that I don't understand because people were tweeting yesterday. I brought up the Monty tweet yesterday about how, like, oh, yeah, you know, this Origin Flash Wolf series seems to be designed to be the most boring thing ever. And I'm like, is that really what's boring? Because to me – you know, with the exception of some plays here, like, there's nothing more boring to me than when something happens exactly the way we think it's going to happen, and the only wrinkle comes when the other team just decides not to try very hard in the last game, which we'll we'll get to in a moment. But I guess, is there any, before we get started, just as an overall, was there anything that particularly surprised you about this series? Anything that st- uh, sticks out? No. Not not really, other than the Wolf got the MVP at the end of it. That made no sense to me. It, I mean, I guess you would say, given game three, he was the most consistent? Actually, 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 I'll put it this way. Actually, the thing that sticks out to me the most is, uh, I understand Westor doesn't play Azir, but you're that afraid of Azir? <laughs> you are that completely afraid of Azir that you have to ban it all three games. More specifically, banded the last 29 games that they've played, dating back to the LMS. That blew my mind. Because I didn't that... even notice they were doing that in the group stage. But uh, apparently Westor can't play Azir or play against it. That is absolutely horrendous. Like, no. <laughs> no, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, Why? I mean, <laughs> luckily enough for them, SKT just decided to ban the Mordekaiser on blue side anyway. Which is something it makes me question. Like, th- does Bang just not play it? Why? I, why would you want to play it at this point? Nobody really wants to deal with it. Like I said at the beginning of the tournament, if you had taken all the captains and put them in a room and said, "Pick one champion for us to permanently disable for this tournament," it would have been Mordekaiser. Yeah, that's fair. But at the same time, I don't think, especially on five eighteen, that he's unbeatable. I feel like, it, you know, if SKD's banning it on blue side, that's... Then you have to... The problem with Mord is you have to have a specific strategy. Like, you have to play a very, very specific way to play like to play against him. Hmm. You can't play standard against a Mordekaiser. It just doesn't work. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting going forward, like, looking into Season 6, as long as they keep that Ghost Dragon a thing, which, which seems to be, you know, Riot seems happy with that so far. It's created some cool moments, and I get that, uh, for the average solo queue player. Wait, wait. Oh, okay, for solo queue. I was going to say, I haven't seen one professional use of that dragon that was anything spectacular. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen at least a tower and a half in, uh, in the second that'd uh, be, one we saw. That'd be team just targets it down. I, I understand. It's not, <laughs> it's not particularly impressive, but... Like, that seems to be the biggest reason that they don't want it up, is that it just forces, it just takes a tower as a general rule, which, I mean, I I think there are scarier things that can take towers than that ghost dragon. I think it is very easy to focus down, but that's, I mean, I don't know why else you'd you'd ban it. I mean, the the real problem will come when New Zillion comes out. Oh, God. Have have you seen what his new passive is going to be? I have not. Can you, can so, you share so, with those of us who might not have been on Reddit today? Uh, it's not. It's actually. It's been a couple days ago. Oh. Uh, but basically, they're changing his passive to instead of him passively just increasing mana of allies around him, he now has a pool, and that he collects mana. Or he collects um, experience inside this, and then when a he has enough experience in this little you know passive to level up one of his allies. So let, let's say he has 150 experience in his pool and his 80 carries 150 experience away from level 2. He can click on his allied champion, give them the experience, and they level up. Oh, uh, okay. That seems good. I see no way that gets exploited at a competitive level. 
Oh boy. Okay, this is not the Champion Balance podcast, and we're and we're slowly drifting into that. If you haven't noticed, we're having a hard time focusing on the games themselves because, well, I mean, look at Game One. It played out pretty much exactly the way we thought. AHQ kept it close for 15 minutes, but SKT built a, a team fight composition that. AHQ had no answer to, and it was just kind of a slow stranglehold. I, I'm, I'm very curious of why you would let Elise and Lulu go to SKT. I get that Lulu does not exactly fit in with Callista, like the greatest, but come on, guys. Like, really? There's a reason that she's a power pick. There's a reason Elise is a power pick. You know, they, they got, they mind game, like, SKT was trying to mind game them into banning the Lulu so they get could get a lease. And then AFQ was like, no, we just don't want Faker to play Rise. So SKT is like, okay, we get one of them. They're going to get the other. We're, we're totally fine with that. And then they got both. Yeah, well, this is what happens when your mid laner is Westor. And this is why, you know, and, and I'm not going to refer to, you know, the list that shall not be named. But when people talk about Westor being the center of AHQ... This is why people get upset about that, people who actually care about the LMS, because Westor is the weakest guy on this team in all but the very few situations like Game 3 that we'll get to in a bit. He can't play Lulu. It's not his style. He plays everything, no matter what champion it is, the same way that you would play a Fizz or a Twisted Fate or whatever else. That's all he knows. He can't play the Lulu. And you don't want to put the Lulu on Ziv because... You need Ziv to be a hard carry in this series. The only thing that AHQ really does well is have these hard carry side lanes that push up and free Westor to get these roams so then he can come back into these games and end up being a turning fight in the mid to late game. Lulu was never going to work for AHQ, and that's why I think it was so smart for SKT to first pick Elise, because if AHQ picked that Lulu, whether you put it in top or you put it in mid, AHQ would have been taking a severe disadvantage just to get that Lulu off of SKT's side. And that's, I mean, that's a weakness in, in AHQ's, you know, player composition. I mean, this is where everyone needs to, every organization needs to look at themselves across, across the world. There's only one region that actually is built for international success, and it's Korea. Everyone else is building their teams around regional success. We talk about TSM, how they, you know, dominated North America and Cloud9, how they dominated America, you know, North America for so long. They got to the point is, oh, now we're, you know, now we're building for international success. Now we're playing to, you know, be better on the international world stage. I think that's the problem that AHQ in particular has here is that they had such great regional success, such great, you know, Taiwanese dominance that they haven't looked at the, you know, the full picture and gone, oh, 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 lord. This mid laner is a hugely devastating flaw when we get to the world stage. So I don't think Westor is on this team next next split. I think this is the time that Westor retires. I, I, I think that we're there. He's been around in the in the scene for what, like four years now? I mean he's been around since season two at the very least. Okay. He's he's done pretty much everything you could ask for from him for his career. He took that game off VDG last year uh, mm-hmm. and was a big influence in this. At this point, what he is is a guy that forces you to play one style of game. And, and this is the problem when you play the best teams in, in the world. SKT can play so many different styles and win the game. AHQ can play one style really, really well. Best of ones, that's fine. You can pull that off in a best of one. But I don't think that you can pull it off in a best of five. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, what hurt AHQ here. And, you know, I, I don't, we'll have a conversation at the end of this as to whether this is truly AHQ's fault. I didn't leave this tournament thinking that AHQ was a bad team. I just think they ran up against SKT. And SKT requires so much more precision and so much more of an understanding of all these different macro things. And that's just not the team that AHQ is. AHQ was never was it was going to be very surprising if AHQ took a game in the series and game three was the way to do it. But mm-hmm. but game two is what we have to talk about next. And this is the hey, it turns out Wolf can play Tom Kench, which we didn't even know before this game. And he plays it pretty well. <laughs> I love the Kench. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I'm I'm not very good at him. I've tried juggling him a couple times and I'm not great at it, but man, I love watching I love watching him get played. It's amazing. 
Yeah, I uh, I've brought up my little my little cousin Claire on this podcast before. She came <laughs> on the end of an episode back uh back when we were doing the playoffs. I think it was yes for for North America and Europe, and she loves Tom Kench. Not just because she and I will go you know top lane together against the AI, and it'll be like the fizz Tom Kench full fish lane as she likes to call it. But she just thinks the tongue is the funniest thing in the world, and it has all the saves, and it's perfect for when I play with her because I can just save her anytime she overextends way too much. And uh, and I've grown to love Tom Kench as a result. I don't know. I I think he's a great champion in terms of the utility that he brings. And I always felt that even back in 515 when people were kind of making fun of Yellowstar for playing it. And I, I just felt like the numbers needed to be tweaked a little bit more, and I think they're in a good place now. I think it really yeah. rewards the best level of support, and there's a reason that we don't see a lot of teams pick it, is because you have to be really, really good at that champion to get the most out of it. It has a very high skill ceiling, but when it works, it's just fun. It's just really, really fun. Let's not forget, though, this is your, your cousin that also likes Tropel. <laughs> she loves Fizz. She does. That is true. And, and look, Tom Kench is not particularly well-loved in solo queue either. So maybe she just gravitates towards the things that annoy her enemies the most. It's very possible. So she's going to become a team up player. Look at what you've done. <laughs> I don't think she, I, I don't think she could bring herself to play Teemo. I don't, I don't think she's actually encountered a Teemo yet. So, you know, it, it's still in play, but we'll save this for the, uh, for the family podcast at another time. <laughs> this game is, I mean, this game was a perfect example of, SKT saying, oh, well, last time we just beat you in team fights. Now we're just going to beat you in lane head-to-heads. And it was just amazing to watch Bang and and Wolf just take this, you know, on Albus lane that had looked really good in week two head-on without any fear and and just consistently winning those fights. Uh, what did you think when you were looking at how this matched up, you know, was it simply that the Tom Kench was able to turn these fights around, or did you think there was, you know, that Bang was playing on a, on a different level as well compared to where On was in this tournament? I I definitely think Bang was ba- Bang is the best Callista player in the world, just straight up the best Callista player in the world. He's you know eleven and 0, he was eleven zero on that champion, has incredible you know KDA on the character. Mm-hmm. Just fits his style very very well, and then you add the Tom Kench. Which just blatantly counters Thresh. And I think we've been kind of looking for a good Thresh counter. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think there was anyone that really just blatantly just completely 100% counters Thresh. Except maybe, like, Morgana. Mm-hmm. But even Morgana, it's like a skill matchup. You know, the Thresh can kind of trick you into, you know, doing your binding and then queuing, uh, you know, uh, queuing you. Like, it, there, there's a lot of play there. But Tom Kench just straight up counters Thresh. Because Thresh is going to hit that hook on Callista if he can even hit the hook on Callista. And then Wolf just every single time was like, nope. Nope. Let me, nope. I'm just going to grab my teammate. Nope. <laughs> and then the one time that Albus is, you know, he just goes, you know, screw it. I'm going in. He flies in and they just, you know, get crushed in a terrible team fight. Mm-hmm. So. Well, here's the question for you then. What is the counter to Tom Kench? If this is, I mean, if we're going to have the trifecta here. Range. Range harass mm. care, uh, supports Janna. Janna, yeah. Sona. I feel like Janna um, and Sona. Nami. We haven't seen Sona at this tournament at all, I don't think. You yeah. won't see Sona. Sona, Sona yeah. is way too squishy. We've only seen uh, three Janna games, but two of which were successful. I don't know. I would- it would be interesting to see if, if they kind of... I would say, say Nami and John are probably your best bets into Tom Kench, but you can only pick them after the Kench. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't pick them prior to Tom Kench at all. Yeah. Because uh, then, you know, if someone picks a Nami, I'm just going to go play Leona and yeah. just, you know, do a straight-up kill lane. It, I, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what teams try to do. We haven't seen any Nami yet. The only one that we've seen of the three you just named was that Janna, and it'll be interesting I, to see as, as teams, because the further we, we advance, the better supports we're getting, and the more Tom Kench is becoming a contested pick, and so figuring out that counter is going to be huge. I think, I think it's going to be a significant part of what decides some of these semifinals and finals matchups going forward mm-hmm. in Botland. But is there anything else about this game? I mean, this was, I guess the one thing that we really should point out is, this was the game that cemented in my mind that Faker 
is just so far and away the best player in the world. And it's it's hard to say that after game three, like where where he's like, yeah, he's, he's, maybe he's still a human. Where he's screw, screwing around. Yeah, he was playing Cassidy into Fizz. Yeah. But he was, I, can you just talk a little bit about how good he looked in game two before we get there? So so this, this him playing this rise in the, the both times that he's played the rise have been the epitome of him calculating damage. Of him being, I can throw away this flash because I'm either going to get yours or I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I think Rise is just such a faker champion because it is so calculated. And the way that he, like, his teleport into bot lane to get the kill, uh, to get the first blood on Tristana, like, under tower, just by rooting her, phenomenal. No other player in the world makes that play. No other player in the world even sees that as remotely possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, before she had, like, two tower shots left to kill her, he was already in the lane and rooted her. Yeah. And he was like, nah, I got this. <laughs> just just threw away his teleport because he's like, I know I'm going to get this kill. Mm-hmm. He's the only player in the world that was, would have been able to make that play. Yeah. So as as much as as much as people can go, oh, Pawn has his number, oh, Dade, oh, Rookie, oh, whoever, nope. There is not a single player in the world that makes that play. Yeah, no, that's fair. He just it's, – it's one of those things where, you know, and, and we've heard him interview to talk about this. He just sees the game on a different level than most of us likely ever will. It's just such a natural thing for him, and, and the instincts kind of hit forward, and he knows – he could just calculate, not not you know taking the time to do it, but just he sees the champion, sees that he's going to be under the tower, and knows exactly how much damage it's going to be, and how he can pull this kill off, and how he can make that play, just because he's played the game so many times and has that yes. intimate of an understanding of how all these different mechanics work, and it blows me away. It blows me away, and that's the kind of play that really exemplifies it more than anything else. And he had some other great plays. He ended up with like. What was it? I think a seven zero two line in this game by the end of it. Seven zero three, yeah. Seven zero three. Okay, so yeah, there was one more assist at the end there. But I mean, he was he was perfect. He had a seven minute. What was it? A seven minute rod of ages? Yeah, something like that. Something ridiculous. It's it's something insane. And I just I I've never seen a fully upgraded Seraph's embrace and a fully upgraded rod of ages before the twenty minute mark. That's that alone just blows me away and. And, and shout out to Faker for being that guy. And, that you know, that leads us into Game 3. I, I felt like after a win like that, SKT are saying to themselves, oh, well, now we get to goof around. Now we get to play for fun. You know, they pick the Tom Kench. They got the Elise. They're feeling pretty good about it. Uh, at least, you know, AHQ remembers to ban the Lulu this time. But what? What was what was uh, SKT's three bans? I have Jinx, Mordekaiser. I, I'm looking at the Reddit post, and it has Jinx, Darius, and Mordekaiser, and I know they didn't ban Darius. It's Diana. 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 Okay, okay, okay. Band, which I, I think is an interesting thing. I, I, I guess they're looking at that and they're saying, well, the one thing that we didn't like about Game 2 was how much split push pressure uh, – well, wait, I guess Game 1. Wait, yeah, yeah. Game game one is the Diana. It was how much split push pressure that they got on that uh, on some of those towers. It did elongate the game to some extent. I don't think that much. It wasn't you know it obviously didn't win the game for AHQ, but I guess it's something that you could say like yeah, well we've got some bans to throw away here. We're not really worried about banning the Lulu or anything else in this situation. So you know we'll we'll ban the Diana. Why not? But. The Cassidy into the Fizz, you kind of started alluding to this earlier, but can you explain to people, you know, because there's going to be a lot of people say, oh, look, Westor had this great game on his Fizz, which is his signature champion, and, and fake, you know, he solo killed Faker a couple times, which means, you know, maybe there are some holes in, in both sides of the arguments we've presented so far. Can, so can you kind of explain why that's not the case for people that don't understand kind of where they're coming from? Well, well one, I'm just going to look at Kakoma. Mm-hmm. Kakoma, I get you're arguably the greatest coach in esports history. Mm-hmm. I can say nothing to you. You are a master. You have a world champion, uh, world championship. You have arguably the greatest player under you. You're an evil genius that have you know turned Marin and 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 Bang and Bengi and Wolf into arguably the greatest team of all time. Um, I am a lowly pleb, so please take nothing that I say uh, serious. But just in the future, please don't sandbag like this. <laughs> Please, please don't, you know, go trolly. Like, just ban the guy's best champion. It's the only champion he can play. Don't be cute. Just, just, let's get this, let's get this world championship over with, you know? This very easily probably would have been like a 30-minute game if they hadn't, if they banned the Fizz. Oh, absolutely. You know? he's, 
Wolfstar's proven that he can play Fizz. He's proven that it's his best champion. He's proven that he can play it in absolutely any matchup. His Diana was not all that convincing. Like, don't let the guy get his best champion. Nobody on the planet lets Faker get would let Faker get his best champion if he had one singular best champion that was always relevant. Yeah. Like, nobody would ever let that happen. I mean, first of all, I am surprised we haven't seen a Faker LeBlanc pick at some point because if Maple can do it, we know Faker can and Faker. Yeah, he's he's waiting to beat Pawn with it in, in the World Championship. Oh, you're so right though, because they because <laughs> they baited him in Game Five at MSI. Oh my God, you're you're so right. <laughs> he is going to win three games with the weirdest LeBlanc build. He's going to play AD LeBlanc with the Triforce <laughs> and a, a Static Shiv. See, now we're just assuming that EDG makes it through, which we're going to have to talk about in a bit. But Oh, well, yeah, that's but the difference. <laughs> regardless, I, I, I just think it was – it's this interesting thing. And it's very – you know, sandbagging is the right word. And we're using it in the way that you know people like China Talk and Korea Talk use it, where it's not that they weren't playing their best, which is what some people think mm-hmm. because that's the colloquial meaning of the term. Yeah. But it's, it's this idea of trying things and pushing yourself to see what you can pull off. And what this was, was Faker saying, I want to beat Westor at his best. I can force him off this Fizz all day long, and I could beat his second or third champions, but I have a lot of respect for Westor. I want to beat him at his best. And so you yeah, choose your, like, your third best champion. <laughs> That's what I don't get. Yeah, Kassadin's not even his third best. I don't, I don't understand. You've seen eight games on Kassadin uh, from Faker all time. It's... There are so many different things I would have rather seen if you're going to go Why? up against his best. The, 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 the rise. Why wouldn't you just play the rise in this matchup? I mean, that would have been smart. Yeah, obviously. That would have been like uh, – you could have played Victor. Like I, I don't know. I think he just tried to put it on hard mode to break a sweat. Yeah, he just was bored. He was like, ah, oh, these games are going too easily. I just want to – I want to make things exciting. Um which, I mean, he did. It was nice seeing the solo kills on the faker. And, and, and for the record, the one player who I really want to you know, s- single out as mm-hmm. being someone who really impressed me this whole tournament was, was Ziv. Ziv mm-hmm. had three really good games. And I know Marin came ahead in, in the first two. And, and Marin is an amazing player. He is up yeah. there with someday in the best top laner in the world conversation. Mm-hmm. But the way Ziv was able to go toe-to-toe with him, if, if ever... Marin was ahead. It was not by much. And in game three, Ziv had some very crucial outplays. It's like he understood just from you know that first game against uh, against Marin's Fiora mm-hmm. how to take advantage of these tiny little holes. And he had some incredible Darius plays. And I think that he is legit. I think that if you're AHQ, you're very fine with the way that your side lanes are lined up right now. Mm-hmm. If you want to make those improvements for an international level, you look at your mid lane and you look at your jungle probably. And, you know, to be fair, this is the first year that the LMS is a thing. And look at how much of a difference it already made from the GPL where they were forced to play teams like the Bangkok Titans multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. Now, now you're just playing the best of the best in your region. And they're already at a point where they went from two years of not making it into the quarterfinals to two teams having made it in the quarterfinals, and one who, I gotta be honest, watching AHQ in this series, I, I think they, they could have, you know, stood a much better chance against Origin yesterday than Flash Wolves did. Mm. I, or, you know, no. they, they not the way, not the way Herman's get, been game planning. I wasn't as impressed with Hermit yesterday as you were. We're not, not to get circle back to this, but I, I just think that AHQ, if you played them and put them against anyone other than SKT, it's mm. certainly a lot more of a series. Oh, probably. And, and I, I, I think that AHQ had the potential to be a semifinals team with the right matchup. It just didn't, it didn't work out that way. Potential are what, what odds? What, what do you think was the best ma- matchup they could get, not Flash Wolves? Well, okay. Well, Flash Wolves is obviously the matchup because they're a two seed. So they okay. wouldn't have been able to. So it, it's either Flash Wolves, which would have been the easiest. I think there it's like a 75% chance. Uh, Fnatic, I would give at this point like a, a 30% chance. Okay, let, let's say let's say forget the seeding out of the other seven teams that were remaining. Best chance was against Flash Wolves, and that was probably a, they're probably the favorite in that series. Mm-hmm. Then and what, Orion? Probably you probably and say. Do you give them better than a fifty percent chance of winning that series? I give it about forty-five. I think it's it's very close. Okay, I bring it to five games at least. I think yeah. Origins a slight favorite because okay. I, I do still give Hermit that credit, but I think it's there. Um, I think the Fnatic is like a 30 to 35. I think EDG is a 
25. You know, coup, actually. I mean, if we're taking away seating, a coup is probably a 50-plus percent. I have no fear. Really? I think I'm I'm with Obscurica on this after having uh, broken that series down. A lot of those stats really don't look good for coup. They do not look well when you look past the 4-2 record. And those losses to Flash Wolves look really uh, damning at this point. Yeah, but do you think Koo gives West or Fizz any of those games? I don't know if it matters. I think Ziv outplays Smeb in that whole series. What? What? I, do you think Prey and Gorilla are better than On and Albus right now? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't for, think for, so. fair points. I'll, I'll give you fair points here. I, I I don't think that AHQ is as close to breaking through as as you guys are but i was i was completely i was you know so down on the lms the entire time and they still got both of their qualifiers into you know the quarters so shows what i know i mean no and that's fair you know it's all all these hypotheticals don't really matter at the end of the day ahq uh loses 3-0 here skt going to the semifinals and we're gonna have to talk next week you know that conversation of who if anybody is going to take a game off this skt team is getting scarier and scarier. You know, when you were going on your rant earlier, though, about, you know, SKT, please don't sandbag, I thought you were going to say, because it completely ruins our gambling parlay options. <laughs> because that was what was in my mind. I wasn't so worried about the series. I was just like, look, I have you at minus two and a half, SKT. Just close it. Don't, don't make I mean, I, I treated you at one point. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, it was basically there, and and we're gonna go over our bets real quick from this unicorn challenge. I made a mistake. I accidentally typed in forty instead of fifty for the SKT bet, and I was too tired in the morning to realize I typoed until it was already locked in. Meanwhile, you Walter, you took thirty on that minus two and a half. You put thirty on the map one winner, the thirty on the head to head winner. At the end of the day, it didn't really change much for either of us. And I, no. I, I made I alluded to this in the in the in the Skype chat earlier, Walter. But what do you think? I have closed the gap on you by how many unicorns? Do you think I have closed? One hundred unicorns. Point two unicorns. <laughs> I have made up a whole point two after today's game. I told you guys there is no money to be made on this game. <laughs> there is no money to be made. I mean, if had I typed in the fifty, it would have been like. A whole ten, maybe. I haven't made more. I made two more bets than you. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's just, I mean, that's just it. Like the map one winner, you won. A, you bet thirty and won a whole five. You yeah. bet thirty on the head to head and won point nine. You didn't. Get I won unicorn. less than a unicorn betting thirty unicorns on SKT winning. But it's okay because you know what? The third oh. quarterfinals, which is the series we're going to start talking about right now, is bountiful for potential Ugh. gambling games. Ugh. And it, Tasty. it starts with it, 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 by the way, in case you don't know, this is EDG versus Fnatic. This is the top European team against the supposedly second best Chinese team, yet they're the only Chinese team to really do what needed to be done in their group. We obviously there were a lot of problems with EDG in the group stage. Mm-hmm. A lot of that people could say is focused on Amazing J, just to pull out some stats real quick on you guys. Uh 14, 14, and 26. Uh, that gives him a .29 KDA. He was responsible for almost 25% of his team's deaths, only a 50% kill participation, and was behind by minus 394 gold at 10 minutes, the only player on his team to average being behind in gold at all. So, uh, wait, no, Pawn uh, was behind right. by 30. You're okay. Yeah, okay. Well, still, minus 30 versus minus 394. I think there's a slight difference in those two numbers. And there's a reason that he's being benched for Kuro. And and let's talk about that. What do you think is the biggest difference as far as what we can reasonably expect from a guy that we know is is you know still technically has a back injury and still hasn't been practicing with the team as much as scrims? Do you think this is truly the upgrade that a lot of people are painting it out to be? So in terms of an upgrade, I think they just miss the the leadership and the shot calling capabilities that Koro provides. Mm-hmm. I think they finally realized that the champion pool kind of upgrade uh, that they were expecting out of out of Amazing J is not worth the worth the trade off. Mm-hmm. I think is what it comes down to is that it yeah it's great to have someone who adapts quicker to the current meta, but you know Koro has had you know probably about a month to adapt to this champion pool. Um, you know, whether it's been him in scrims, whether it's been him playing solo queue and, you know, just practicing himself. Uh, 
even despite any injury that he might have, I think they're realizing that they could very easily lose to Fnatic if they don't change something because Hooney has been playing phenomenally. Even though they lost a couple games that you know the during week one, week two Hooney was absolutely spectacular, mm-hmm. and his champion pool is rivaling that of. of you guys go ahead and laugh at me. It's rivaling that of Faker. I'm getting mm. to the point where I, I'm not surprised. Like, I don't know what they could pick in the top lane that would really, really surprise me uh, from from Hooney. I mean, he's played Riven. He's played Hecarim. He's played Yasuo, which was really, really bad. He's played the you know the Darius and the Fiora. You know those the Nar. You know what he can play. It's just they're playing through him and they're giving him the counter pick potential. And I think at this point. A, a, you know the depth of Amazing Jay's champion pool doesn't matter. If Coral can play Nar and Darius, that's about all he needs to play. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who played eleven different champions in the EU summer season, several of which, uh, you know, that he's played in this, you know, he's played in Worlds, uh, but some that he hasn't played, you know, that he had not mm-hmm. played until Worlds. This is a guy who has, you know, he can play a lot of different things, and he has a lot of different skills to offer and certainly this is where Koro's experience you would hope you know he's going to be familiar with pretty much all of these matchups there's nothing that yes. he's going to do that's going to surprise him the yeah. question is whether his injury has really allowed him to practice and maintain the level of skill we're used to from him which i'm inclined to guess that it will just because koro has been a guy who's been in the scene for forever he understands what it takes to be this kind of player and i really doubt that edg would put him in if they didn't feel like he was ready yeah, but it's one of those things where now it puts Huni into this bind, and this is where I'm very interested in seeing what happens. Huni had, you know, some great games in week two, but they came because he was able to style on some people, right? We saw yeah. that amazing, you know, quadra kill on the Riven on the on the teleport bot, which was mm-hmm. you know an incredible highlight play. That's not happening against Koro. It's just not. You're not going to get those kinds of advantages on a guy who has been so solid and so consistent for as many years as he has. I the thing was that Huni wasn't getting those advantages against his lane opponent. He was getting them by by roaming, by moving around the map, by having Rainover come in and, you know, get a very nice tower dive down. Which even though Koro is a very experienced player, some of these tower dives that they, they came up with were very ingenious in, in the positioning that Rainover came into the enemy jungle and would wrap around the you know their the enemy team's double golems and then come in and gank. Like I understand Koro is a very experienced player, but we also haven't seen him play in a long time. Yeah. No, it, it's a concern. It's it's certainly a concern, and especially when the last time we saw him play was the summer playoffs, and they didn't make it. They didn't. Uh, they did not take the first seed like they were supposed to. They finished fourth yeah. in the summer playoffs. Yeah, uh, it's been amazing, Jay, ever since. And that's it, it's a lot of question marks, and it's the, question the, marks that I I think, given how inconsistent Amazing Jay has been, I'm okay taking on those question marks, mm-hmm. but I'm not as certain as. Other people would insinuate uh, that I should be because of those questions. You know, we, yeah. it, it, these are not things to be ignored. You, yeah. you brought up Rainover, and this Clear Love versus Rainover matchup I find particularly fascinating because Rainover has been a guy like you've said, putting all these ganks and putting all these tower dives and lane pressure, and and it, it shows up in his. You know, he has more kills. He he has you know a slightly lower uh, you know. Percentage, you know, kill participation just a 61% because mm-hmm. he is doing more skirmishes. He's dying a little bit more often because he's a riskier plays. But he is ahead in gold at 10 minutes significantly because of mm-hmm. how much early pressure he's able to put on. Whereas Clear Love, you know, he's got the 7.6 KDA, which surprised me because I didn't think his name was being called all that often. But he's been, you know, an 86% kill, participata- kill participation. Uh, he is a guy that has been really the key to starting all of these team fights while still not being a very high percentage of his team's death. It's a very different kind of play style battle here. Which one do you think is better given where the game is right now? I I think Rainover. I think Rainover. I think a lot of where Clearlove is getting his kills are in team fighting uh, and the assists are in the team fight phase. He has not looked like, and I mean, that's what he's good at. He's an exceptional team fight jungler. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that his lanes are going are getting battered, and his lanes are being abused. Let's remember the uh, the the SKT games, and it, 
SKT won their laning phases. Mm-hmm. SK, you know, Amazing J got crushed by Marin. Pawn had a lot of trouble against Faker. Even, you know, Mako and Deft were having problems against Wolf and Bang. And it's because Clearlove just isn't making an impact early on the map and, you know, early in the game. Uh, I, I want to go to the statistics here. And, you know, first Dragon, uh, you know, Dragon's pil- killed per game for Edward Gaming, just under two. Fnatic is at 2.3. Uh, average share of games total jungle possess, uh, you know, total jungle CS. Well, they're up at 54.5 with S- SKT, but Fnatic's at 61. Mm-hmm. percent You know, they're placing some more wards. They're clearing out some more wards. Yeah, that's great and all, but at the same time, they just don't have uh, much of an advantage. In fact. Uh, gold differential at fi- at 15 minutes. Edward Gaming 594. They are the second lowest out of teams that are still a, and still positive at the 15 minute mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the group that they are playing against, which was terrible in Bangkok Titans and H2K. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be real. H2K had a higher gold difference at 15 minutes than Edward Gaming. They are at 1300. Fnatic, the team they're playing against, was had almost 3000 gold at 15 minutes, and they had arguably a much harder group much more difficult group uh another stats to look at would be champion kills per minute uh fanatic is at 0.88 and edward gaming is at 0.73 so a lot more fighting a lot more skirmishing among fanatic if edward can get to just a team fight phase where it doesn't really matter um that it, like if they can stem the tide early on and not allow Fnatic to snowball the game with all this aggressive play early on, there is a you know chance that they can get out ahead of the uh, get out ahead of Fnatic and get into this team fight phase and allow Deft and allow Pawn and and Clearlove in particular to shine. But I just don't think Fnatic is going to let them. Well, that that's the thing, right? And first of all, that that gold stat obviously with Fnatic, you look at that that one game against Cloud Nine must have really boosted that one because they went so aggressive and had such a massive lead at that 15-minute mark that I'm sure that skews a lot of the averages uh, to, the, to where Fnatic is. That's not something they were doing in week one. You know, when they were losing this Cloud9, when they were losing the AHQ, even their opening game against Invictus wasn't this massive early game. It certainly has been what made it work in week two, and it's certainly what I think they're going to try to do. It does put a clock on Fnatic's victories here. And this is why I, I still am hesitant to say that Clearlove is at a disadvantage compared to the way Cle- uh, Rainover wants to play this. Because Fnatic is basically, with that style, they're saying, we are going to win these games by the 25-minute mark. Which they did, you know, by the 25-30-minute mark, they won, you know, three of their games by that mark. Three of their four wins were, you know, these very early game, you know, dominant uh, dominant play from them. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that consistently against Edward Gaming, well, congratulations. That's wonderful. You're going to win this series pretty easily. Most teams would if they can play the early game that well. Right. But if, you know, just by the nature of, you know, Deft is one of the best 80 carries in the world. Pawn is considered one of the best mid laners in the world. Koro is one of the most legendary top laners in the world. Maybe, you know, you don't have a greedy AHQ team that can overextend sometimes. You don't have a Cloud9 team that was completely out of their element in Week 2. And you don't have an Invictus team that played so passively that it just handed all of these advantages over. This is something that I think... I don't think Fnatic's been tested in this kind of way. Uh, by individual solo lane play. And sure, SKT took advantage of a lot of weaknesses. But EDG is has had a week to fix these things. They've got Koro in now, where Amazing J was one of the biggest reasons for those weaknesses. And, most importantly, Fnatic's not SKT. SKT mm-hmm. right now are making everyone look silly. I'm kind yeah. of inclined to give Edward Gaming a break on some of those early game struggles when they came against SKT. Now, the consistency is an issue. Uh, the fact that they had a long game against both H2K and Bangkok Titans in week two shows me that their head wasn't fully in it. And this is where you have to see, can Koro turn this team around mentally enough where they can they can hold their own in these things? But if, if Fnatic doesn't win early, Rainover's effectiveness drops off the longer the game goes on. Whereas mm-hmm. Clearlove, I think, gets more and more effective. And if he uses the vision that they have an advantage in, 
I think he can become more of an early game guy than he has been so far this tournament. There's room to improve in that regard. And I wouldn't necessarily, you know, I, I think Clear Love is capable of it. It's a matter of whether they want to pull that trigger. Mm-hmm. But we move on to the mid lane. And it's Fabiven versus Pawn. And I guess the, the obvious question to me is, has Fabiven done enough of this tournament that you would put him in the same category that you put Pawn as far as strong, world-class mid laners? Absolutely. I would just say the only knock in Fabiven has just been in week one, they put him on non-playmaking mid laners. They mm-hmm. put him on Oriana, I think, all three games. Or, you know, I, I remember at least two games that he played Oriana. But... I yeah, you have to. He's proven that he can hang with the big boys. He's out, you know. He outplayed uh, Incarnation fairly fairly easily that on uh, on week two. He outplayed uh, Westor, which mm, jury's out. Uh, he outplayed Rookie, who's arguably one of the better uh, mid laners in the world. Mm-hmm. We go back to MSI where he solo killed Faker numerous times when Fnatic took SKT to five games. He doesn't have anything to prove necessarily on the world stage to make anyone go, yeah, he's near, yes, he's a top-tier mid laner. He is part of that discussion. Uh, it's up to Pawn, I think, here to prove that he is not just the the, the faker kryptonite mm-hmm. that he really has recovered from his own uh health I- issues that he had during the summer and that he can take a team himself and be the star on a team and take them to a world championship like faker did uh you know with the pieces that he had around him back in in season three uh pawn was not the star of that white team mm-hmm. at all he was a piece around imp uh, and and a very successful piece around him, and uh, that was about it. He's a very good player, but I think that if Fnatic gets into semifinals, it'll be phenomenal for Fnatic as a whole. I don't think all of a sudden people will be saying, oh, Fabivin's the second best mid laner in the world. But if Pawn wants to be considered truly the second best mid laner in the world, he really needs to get to the wor- get to the finals against Faker and, and beat him you know, again and continue that narrative of Faker can beat everyone except me. Yeah. You, know? You, know, you know where I'm kind of going with that? Yeah, I don't think no, Fabivin has anything left to prove. I think I think you're right. I think as soon as he was able to just destroy Riven, uh, sorry, rookie in that laning phase, yeah, we saw everything we needed to see. That yeah. that to me was the ultimate. You know, what is this guy? How you know what is he capable of? And you're right. Pawn was not the guy on Samsung Galaxy White. I would argue that it was it was Imp and it was Dandy, and yeah. and Looper was was very good as well. And Mato was the best support in the world. There yeah. were so many pieces on there. And Pawn was good enough. He was a top three to five jungler, I mean, yeah. laner at the time. He yeah. did enough. Yeah. Nowadays, I think more of EDG's success rests on him, especially in a meta that relies so much on getting these early game advantages and against a team that relies so much on these early game advantages. He has to be able to hold his own or beat Forbidden three out of five times. Yes. They, they do not win a game unless Pawn can do that. Because if Fabivin gets out of control, game over. And, yep. and for the record, uh, both of the games that they lost for Fnatic were mm-hmm. with Fabivin on Oriana. He was actually in that first game against Invictus uh, on Azir. So every okay. game that they've won, he's been on something other than Oriana. He's been on a playmaking thing. And exactly. that worked out really well. I think if you're, if you're EDG, you have to tailor your blue side bands to that. But when you're on red side... You don't have a lot of room to, to build those those kinds of bands around it. You've got to ban the Mordekaiser. You've got to ban the Gangplank, and that leaves one kind of thing. I leave the Lulu up. Yeah, I leave Lulu up and try and force Fnatic to play with Lulu because if you put it on Huni, you you are severely uh, punishing what Fnatic is trying to do, and it's trying to use Huni as that carry, as as the very primary carry of the team. You know what I'm kind of surprised by that we haven't seen any Lulu support. Like, I understand that she's so powerful in the mid and top lane, and just the way that she scales has been so impressive. But Lulu has been a very good support traditionally. And if you're, if you're a fanatic, the greatest way you get around that is you just pick her as a support, and then you, you put her in the bot lane, and you don't actually sacrifice any of those she things, works, and you don't give up the power pick. She works in one style of composition, and it's the fast push. Like, the, the Lucian fast push tower compositions. 
you know, Lu- uh, Lucian Graves, where you're basically just rushing and trying to deal as much damage to towers as, as you can. And that is just not Fnatic style at this point. No, that's, that's not how they want to play. That's fair. I don't, I don't think it's, it's Fnatic's champion in any of those ways. I agree with you. VDG left it up, but wouldn't particularly surprise me. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's one of those things where if, you're, if your goal is to keep your solo laners super strong, which I think if you're Fnatic, that's how you want to play this. <laughs> I, throwing it in the bot lane at the very least you have the shield you have a little bit of poke like i don't think that's that as a worst case scenario i like that i like that more than i like putting it on huni or forbidden and taking away that solo lane pressure that is so important to their style for, none of it for, works but <laughs> for for her shields and her ultimate to really be like really effective she needs the ap mm-hmm. and you just uh you just don't get the the n- amount of gold you need for those ap items uh as a bot lane support i mean we've seen the 80 cannon i wouldn't be too uh i wouldn't be too offended by an 80 carry lulu i've played it before and i think it has a little bit of merit maybe not you know in the you know in the quarterfinals in the world championship to pull it out but it's not bad it would be interesting i i would love that so much here's and, and let's go to the bot lane because we've, we've theory crafted with lulu enough i think for one podcast we looked at uh at cannon and Shen as a bot lane duo, the ninja bot lane, uh, as people were saying for Fnatic. We saw that twice on on week two. Do you think Fnatic pulls it out again? And if yes. so, how does EDG respond? Uh, you play standard against it. I, you just you try and play Tristana or something where you can just fast push towers. Mm-hmm. Tristana, Jinx. Um, I don't think you do anything too too strange, but part of that. Part of them playing it was to catch those teams off guard. Mm-hmm. Nobody was going to be prepared for an 80 carry cannon that day. And that, that was like the best part about playing all the games in one day. If you could construct a strategy that would catch them off guard, they, they have very little time to respond to it and very little time to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And they chose cannon 80 carry. Now, Edward Gaming has probably asked a couple of their scrim partners to play cannon 80 carry against them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to try it out, see how it goes. I wouldn't have been surprised if Fnatic had practiced it against Edward mm-hmm. just because of the friendship between uh, Reckless and Deft. I bet they were scrim partners. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the cannon is going to be a huge point of contention here. It might be a game four if you know Fnatic is ahead two to one mm-hmm. and they're just going to try and che- you know cheese a, cheese a game out of Edward or play it just to see if Edward has something to combat it. And then if they don't, you know, then if they do, fine, we go to game five. If they don't, it could be a very cheesy kind of quick win. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal. I think the the bigger difference is the switch between week one and week two of the group stage between having Reckless be the secondary carry and having uh, Fabivan be the secondary carry. There's a very strong change, a very obvious change between week one where Reckless and, and Huni were the two carries on Fnatic mm-hmm. and Fabivan was playing more of a supportive style uh utility role with the the azir and with the uh, oriana to all of a sudden week two fabivan is playing leblanc and you know reckless is playing kennan and is basically an, you know using his alt to help uh you know uh, do team fights mm-hmm. no i think that's entirely so, i think that's huge i think if you look at how fanatic has has built this roster you know they always wanted to make sure they had at least two carry threats and they had you know this jungle with Rain over that was able to gank, that was able to synchronize all these cross map plays. This is how Fnatic won Europe and won it so convincingly. I think that it, right now you look at where the meta is and you say, okay, well, what what is Reckless best at? It's it's not his Jinx or his Tristana that ever really blew people away. I would say it's not that he's necessarily bad on those champions, mm-hmm. but you look at the champions that he played most. It's it's the Callista, it's the Sivir, it's the Corky. You know, his, he played some games on Ezreal or Ash. Tristana, he played a bit on. And I, I think his Tristana is good. But he didn't play any Jinx in the regular season. It's mm-hmm. not something that, you know, we've seen him... You know, if you go back to the spring, it wasn't a very successful champion for him. Even when he was... You know, when, even when Jinx was a more meta pick back in spring. It, it's just not... It's not necessarily his style. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Callista and then Kennen goes support because we've seen the Callista Kennen bot lane right. do do wonders and just to, just to kind of mind game EDG to maybe overreacting. But we've seen the Kennen top lane. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Fabevan knows how to play Kennen too. 
It, it we'll just, just go old school TSM. It's just a great flex pick to just force EDG to, you know, overextend in picks and bands and maybe draw some more info out. And Delior is the kind of guy who's smart enough to take advantage of that. Now, you look at the EDG bot lane, and to me, the story of this tournament has less been, you know, deft doing deft things, but the evolution of Mako as a support. I mean, wh- what do you... When you look at how Mako has kind of shown up in this tournament, does that make you feel better or worse about this? You know, is, is that enough to, to turn this bot lane around, I guess, is a better way to Has it. he learned how to play Tom Kench? He had a very good Tom Kench game. Oh, yeah, he did play one Tom Kench game. Yeah. He, he's, he had – that was the – that was point. his best game. I mean the rest of his team didn't look particularly yeah. great against H2K, but he looked incredible in that game. And he's been very good on his Annie. He's very good at those kind of engaged supports, forcing these plays, forcing these fights. And I think that's something – if you want to try to throw Reckless and Yellowstar off, force Yellowstar to be less of a shot caller and more of a mechanical guy, mm-hmm. especially on these engaged-style champions. Yeah, and I'd that seems to be what Mako does. So do you think that's enough to turn the lane? I I don't think so. I think this is Yellowstar. I, I don't I, – I, I'll, I'll get my prediction right out of here. I think uh, EDG loses this series. Mm. That, that's where I'm coming from. I think Fnatic wins this 3-2. Um, and I think it comes down to uh, Fnatic just has a very funky play style that's hard to be prepared for. I think that they figured out that they can't play with, with – they can't put the pressure on Reckless and be like, you are a secondary carry and not allow Fabivan to be able to make plays. I think they need to put all three, Huni, Fabivan, and Reckless, into a position where they can be playmakers mm-hmm. and where they can carry a game. But let the the pace and the way the game plays out uh, dictate who the carry is. Let's not forget at the end of the the spring se- uh, the summer season, uh, Reckless started carrying games. Reckless started getting MVP awards. Reckless started having all the all of a sudden having these great KDAs, you know. And he, but he was still playing champions like Sivir. He was you know playing Callistas. He was playing things that you know don't have to make plays to be very successful in in a composition, but. They weren't put, you know, they weren't putting Reckless on Callista and saying Fabivan, okay, Fabivan play Lulu, mm-hmm. or Fabivan play Oriana. They were still picking Fabivan a Victor or an Azir or something that he could still make plays with. Sure, Hootie might go on to Nar, but if he was going absolutely crazy as Nar, you know, they'd play around that. So mm-hmm. that I just think gives Fnatic an edge over EDG because I don't think EDG can play that style. I think they need to just draw out the laning, fa- you know, draw out the laning phase, so they or, or you know, limit the damage in the laning phase and get to team fighting when clear love shines. When clear love is a very obvious advantage over Rainover, um, they need to try and stem as much of the damage that Rainover and Yellowstar can do in the early game, so they can get to their kind of late mid game team fight centric compositions. But I think Fnatic is a very good team fighting team. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple more stats just to you know. About, if you listen to me on the analyst desk, you already know I picked uh, EDG to win this series three to two. I think this is a five game series either way. I think this is incredibly close. I wouldn't be surprised if Fnatic pull it out. Um, but the two things that I noticed um, first, hundred percent of first bloods and first towers for Fnatic. Mm-hmm. That's likely not sustainable. I understand that their method of play lends itself to that. But as a general rule, there's, there, there's a regression of some sort that we could expect from this tournament. And this, to, to rely on all these things, this really helps snowball some of these early advantages of theirs. If they go back to getting, you know, you know like maybe they get three out of the five first towers, I think that affects, you know, that's still over 50%. And that still affects the way I think they play the rest of these games. The other thing, you look at team fighting. Uh, other than Amazing J... Everyone on EDG had over seventy-five percent kill participation. They are one of the. They were an incredible team fight team. Everything mm-hmm. they did, they did well as a unit. Fnatic, no one had over seventy percent. They were a full skirmish, and they snowballed so much that they never had to have a full team fight. We haven't really seen their full team fight tested all that much because they haven't had to because they've gotten these mm-hmm. advantages early and been able to push those out with the exception of maybe the game against AHQ in week 2 which was an incredible back and forth game that really could have gone either way. Mm-hmm. I I think these are things that worry me if I if I'm in, if I'm gambling on, on Fnatic, if I'm counting on Fnatic to win this series. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's enough to turn it uh, against EDG, but I think it is enough that we can expect this to be very close in either direction. 
So now, with all that how, said, how, how much sorry. gold, though, are Edward Gaming going to lose to Fnatic being over very aggressive and invading the jungle? How far behind... Like, my argument is like, yeah, that's great, but if Clear Love is a full item behind Rainover, does it really matter when you get to teamfight? That, you know, they have an 80% kill participation. And that, that's the number that's sticking out to me most, is the 61% of the, of the jungle CS. Yeah, that means that you're not you're not just you know keeping all your CS. You're going into the enemy jungle and you're taking a, a fair share of it. So that that's one thing that scares me. And mm-hmm. um, I think Edward needs to be very very cognizant of the fact that Fnatic could try and three buff them multiple times. Oh, a- absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. And I guess that's where the difference between you and me is. I have faith in Koro to kind of shore up some of those holes as far as you know. Why Clearlove wasn't able to do a lot of counter jungling because he was constantly mm-hmm. having to gank top just to keep Amazing J alive because of some of these misplays he was making and mm-hmm. having to cover that lane. I think if you fix some of those issues, you see a little bit more. You know, Clearlove got the title of best jungler in the world because he's one of the best counter junglers we've ever seen in League of Legends. His new but name he hasn't is the, been counter jungling. He hasn't been able to. The question mm-hmm. is, does Koro on this team free him up to do it? Is that enough? I don't know. We're going to find out, and it's going to be a uh, yeah. really, really fun series to watch. I, I don't think so against Fnatic. That's, that's fine. We get to be on opposite ends of this. It means, <laughs> it means one of us gets to say, I told you so to the other tomorrow, which is really all you want from this podcast. But, uh, but getting to the gambling line here. Yes. What do you think the line is after all of this breakdown we've just given on this really interesting series? EDG minus 175. Okay, I get this one. Uh, I said EDG minus 150. It is EDG minus 156. Which okay. I, I think that's is fair. that's fair. That's fair. Uh, that puts oh my gosh, I didn't actually seven to write, six. I didn't actually write down yeah, I I'm very happy seven about that. Seven to six. Um I'm gonna take that one and be especially because I, I just did not expect after I felt behind a little bit early. Um it, it's nice it's nice to be back on top with just a few series left. Uh, but there's still plenty of time for you to catch up. Fanatic plus one twenty five is the stat for which I was stalling, by the way. Oh, okay. Um I got it. It's, uh, I, I, will t- I will take that very, very kindly. Thank you. It's, there are a lot of interesting things. If you believe in Fnatic in this series, uh, Fnatic is the map one winner plus 105, which mm-hmm. I actually think is pretty likely given that they're on blue side. Uh, they're, the home, they're in front of the home crowd. I think map one could very easily fall Fnatic's way, even if EDG wins this series overall. Yep. So I think that's, those are great odds. EDG, by the way, minus 130 for that. Uh, over 4.5 maps played. I think this is a five-game series. I don't know, yep. Walter, do you think this is five-game series? Absolutely, absolutely. So then we're looking at plus 170 for that. That's pretty nice. Minus 213 if you're under 4.5 maps played. Uh, Fnatic, plus 2.5 if you think that they do better. If they win at least one game, that's minus 625. Not much value there. But there is some value. If you like Fnatic, but you're not sure you're willing to commit all the way, Fnatic minus 189 if you, uh, if you take them with a plus one and a half handicap. That requires them to win two games or, you know, at least two games. So they can win two <clears> games or they can win the series. So that kind of gives you this hedge. If you think it goes five games and you're not so convinced that Fnatic is going to win the whole series, you can take that bet and at least rest assured that if it goes to five games, you've got your victory, and those odds are pretty nice odds for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'll be, taking, I'll be taking that. Now, meanwhile, if you're EDG, uh, if you're an EDG fan, and you're really confident that Koro is going to be the thing that turns this around for this, for this team, uh, if you think it's a 3-0, that is plus 425. Uh, you would be a very bold person to do that. But I would respect that if you if you feel that confidently in it. I don't think China's done enough this tournament uh, for me. But then finally, it's EDG plus one and a half. If you think they win three one or better, plus one fifty. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, if you think EDG is good enough to to win it, EDG minus one and a half. I mean, I, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough of a of a, of, a, of a sweet line to justify going that way. I don't know if minus one fifty is enough for, to make me completely throw away there but the plus the minus one and a half that's something that's a real thing because if 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 edg beats Fnatic, i don't know if it's in a five game series it might just be that edg exploits some weakness that Fnatic isn't able to overcome really interesting lines which prop stands out most to you uh there is way too much money on the the five games Mm. Like way too much. Just just for the folks at home, I want to put fifty dollars down on it being a five game or fifty unicorns down on it being a five game series. I make a hundred and thirty five. 
Yeah. So I get 85 Unicorns on, on that bet, and I think that is an extremely good, like, it's extremely likely to happen. I mean, we haven't had a five-game quarterfinal yet, which in my mind says we're overdue. Usually there's there are at least one there's at least one series in the quarterfinals. Yeah, but I don't think the other two and... the other two series weren't as close as this one at all. I think the I think the last two game the last two series in in the quarterfinals are going to be extremely close. Well, see, this is where you and I once again disagree on Coup, but that's okay. We'll talk about Coup tomorrow <laughs> and recap the Fnatic EDG series that we're uh, that we're going to watch on Saturday. It's going to be a brilliant series. I'm very excited, way more excited than I was uh, for the series we saw today. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and you should enjoy that fun with us. Follow us on Twitter. I am at RedshirtKing on Twitter. Walter, where can people find you? At C80s underscore LOL. Perfect. And you guys know, obviously, at this point, if you've been listening to the podcast this many times, but just in case, you can come back at 5 p.m. PST. You will get to hear us talk about all of this stuff, uh, you know, the same kind of format. We'll talk about Fnatic and EDG, what went right, what went wrong, and preview this KT Koo Tiger series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope to see you then. And until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>